you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we'll be studying Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. And this is just a, a continuation of our series through Colossians. And I told you last week um, at the end, it's all right if you don't remember, but I said pretty much the rest of this book, we are going to be transformed by focusing on Jesus. We're going to be made active by focusing on Jesus. But what that leads us to today is this question that I have posed for us, and it's the title of the sermon uh, this week and next week, and it is, why do we want Jesus? Why do we even want him? Why should we choose Jesus? And that seems obvious to many of you, but I promise you there is a better answer than, well, hell's hot, you know, heaven seems pretty nice, so if I'm given the choice between Jesus and heaven or hell without them, then I guess I'll choose Jesus. There is a much better answer than that. Now, I, I realize that those things are true, but I want to tell you that that is not going far enough. If, if we believe that Jesus is our ticket out of hell, our get out of hell free card, then we have missed the splendor, the grandeur of Jesus. So I'm going to try to help us diagnose our condition. This is, this is for all of us. And it's to help you see, what do you think of Jesus? When you think of Jesus, what do you think of him? So I'm going to ask some questions. If you didn't need Jesus as your Savior, would you still want him in your life? If you didn't need Jesus, would you still want him as your Lord if you didn't need him as your Savior? Let me ask you another way. If you could have all your wishes and dreams, your wants and desires come true, but Jesus weren't a part of that, would you be okay? If, if you could go to heaven where there's no more pain or sorrow or grief, there's nothing but happiness to be enjoyed, but Jesus isn't there, are you satisfied with that idea? Now, the, these questions, they, they hit me because it seems like sometimes I'm looking for joy, but I forget about the joy giver. And if that's you, if that's me, it shows that I do not think highly enough of Jesus if I think I could be happy without him. Now, I'll tell you, just to clear up any confusion, no place that we have that is like heaven exists without the joy giver, Jesus. It does not exist, but that was just, you know, to help us think it through. But again, if I think I can be satisfied without the satisfier, I do not have a high enough view of Jesus. You know, I remember asking myself these same questions uh, when God first started grabbing hold of my heart. Why do I want Jesus? Why am I choosing Jesus? Why am I doing all this? I understood that I, I, I needed salvation. I understood that my life wasn't right and something needed to happen. But I was like, but, but why do I have to pursue Jesus with everything? See, I was reading these things in the Bible that says, you know, if you don't deny yourself, take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. That's, that's give me your whole life. That's not just pray a prayer. And I said, why does it have to be the whole thing? Why, why would I do that? Why do I want Jesus? Why do I spend time uh, studying the word? Why do I pursue him with all my life? And I remember, I mean, asking God, saying, you got to show me the answer to this, because I, I don't know. Why do I even care? Sure, I want salvation, but what past that? 
And I remember through prayer, through Bible study, through, through talking with people, reading books and all these things, finally one day it hit me. Oh, I want God. I want Jesus because Jesus is awesome. That's why. We, we sing these songs, our God is an awesome God. I've sang that since I was a little kid. I didn't get it until that point. That became, for me, just the new drumbeat of my life. The reason for everything that I did then became, I want to do this because Jesus is awesome. I remember I would start every uh, small group Bible study this way. Maybe not every time. I would forget sometimes. But if I had it on my paper to remind me, I would start my small group by saying, why are we here, guys? What are we doing? Why are we studying the Bible? And I didn't tell them the answer first or anything um, the way I just told you. I'd say, why are we studying the Bible, guys? And they'd say, so that we can uh, know God more. And I'd say, why? Who cares? <laughs> they say, well, so we can obey him better. Okay, so what? Why? Why do you want to obey him? Well, we want other people to know about Jesus. Why? Why do you care if other people know about Jesus? Finally, <laughs> it took a long time before we, before we finally got to the reason we want to study him, the reason we want to know him, the reason we want to share him and obey him is because he is awesome. And if we're doing church for any other reason, we're missing it. If we're doing life for any other reason, we are missing it. And that is why, for the rest of this series, uh, and beginning today, we're going to take a close look at Jesus, not only as our Savior, but just as our Lord, as who he is. And so if you want to turn with me in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we'll read here. <clears throat> it says, he, that's talking about Jesus from verse 13, so verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's pray. Father God, we look at your word, and it exalts Jesus high. It exalts him above every other name. But so often our hearts are not there, Lord. And we repent of that. We repent of not seeing Jesus for as great and glorious as he really is. And God, we beg you that today you would give us a little bit better view of him, God that you would help us to see and to feel and to want to know him more through this passage, God. Would you do that today? In your son's name, amen. So we've seen from this passage some, some neat things, but I want to break it down. I've said that I'm going to show you that this is why we want Jesus. This is why we want to choose him. This is why Jesus is awesome. So the first reason in your notes is Jesus is the supreme revelation. This is why we want him, and we'll break this down. Jesus is the supreme revelation. Again, from verse 15, the first part, it said, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. Uh, Keith read from John chapter 1 this morning, and it made that very clear. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
But just for clarity's sake, I want, I want to kind of break this verse down just so there's no confusion. It says there, the invisible God, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what does it mean to say God is invisible? You know, when you think of God, you may think of um, some guy that kind of uh, looks like he's from the Little Mermaid movie, you know, with the beard and the stick, and he's just ready to zap people from his throne. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. It says uh, in, in the Bible, in 1 Timothy 1.17 and Hebrews 11.27, among other places, that God is invisible to the physical eye. For, for all eternity past, God is, is invisible to the physical eye. And we say, well, why is he invisible? How, how does he exist and he's invi- invisible? Well, this is because God is spirit in essence. Uh, John 4.24 says that God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, Jesus said there. That means that God is not made up of particles and matter or or atoms, electrons and neutrons. God isn't made up of those things. God is spirit. He is a person, but he is spirit. Now, what this verse is saying is at the incarnation, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was made visible. He made the invisible God visible. That's the whole point here. God took on flesh, God the Son took on human flesh while still remaining fully God in order that he could be the image of the invisible God. Now, the image, the image of this invisible God. Let's talk about this image business for a second. The word in Greek, again, it doesn't matter, but uh, akon is, it's where we get our word icon, you know, a statue, an icon. It's, it's where we get that is from this word, the image. And it means a picture, a representation, or a portrayal of something or someone. A picture, a representation. Now, another time that this is used, uh, you may know there's a thing called the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And in there, there's another time that this word, akon, is used. It says that man, humankind, was made in the acone of God, in the image of God. That's in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. And what that means is, in, in Genesis, is that humans, we were originally made to be pictures, to be representations, to be icons of God. Now, we never perfectly portrayed God. We, we lacked many of his attributes, um, and even more so, we, we do not represent him very well after the fall because that image was marred. But man was made in the image of God. That's a high dignity. That is why sometimes we hold up signs and support life and birth and, and all these things is because man is made in the image of God. That is a huge dignity to be a picture, an image bearer of God. But what I want to tell you from this text is Jesus takes it up a bunch of notches. It says there, Jesus was not made in the image of God. Colossians 1.15, you look at it there. He is the image of the invisible God. I looked it up in Greek, that word is, we didn't throw it in there. It is in there. Ami is the word is in Greek. He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus does not represent God. He is not the image of God because he sort of looks like him, because some of his attributes are kind of like him. He is the image of the invisible God because he is God. That is a very high dignity. Jesus said, and we've already talked about it some, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
That's how, how well he identifies, represents God. Jesus is awesome because he is God. He, he reveals God. Now, how does he reveal God, right? So he became man to, to reveal something invisible, which is weird. Um, but it, so it's got to be something different than the way he looks, right? It's got to be something different than the way he looks. That's not how he revealed God. Let me give you three ways that Jesus reveals God. And in this, I want you to remember, this is my whole point in this, is sometimes we think of Jesus as the man that walked and sweat and got hungry and got tired and all those things are true. But sometimes we forget that he was fully God. All of God's attributes fully in him. Many of them veiled. He didn't always use them the way that he could have. But all of these things are still fully true of Jesus. So, three ways. Jesus first reveals who God is. Jesus reveals who God is. This means that, that Jesus and God are eternal. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. That's right. What does that mean? Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Before Abraham, you, you already were? What are you talking about? He was eternal. He was infinite. That means Jesus has no, no boundaries, no, no measures. Nothing can contain him. The world cannot contain him. The, the Bible certainly cannot uh, contain him. It reveals some of him. He is gigantic. He's not dependent on creation. Another thing about God is he is immutable. It's a, a big word. It doesn't mean that he can't be shut up. It means that he cannot be changed. Okay, that's what immutable means. He can't be changed. Now, the reason I point this out, in the Bible, we see a bunch of different people. And I like to do, like, character studies in the Bible, you know. Um, and you can think of people like uh, Peter. He started out as kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to call him. That's nice. He did crazy things, but he ends up being, you know, a strong leader in the church. And you, see, you watch the change and the progression in his life. You think of uh, Mark, who he, he kind of goes with uh, Paul for a while on these missionary journeys. Then he gets afraid and kind of steps back. But then later he's restored, and it's, he's kind of wishy-washy. You think of uh, Timothy, who Paul's having to encourage him and strengthen him. Anyways, we see the change in all these people. They're ups, they're downs, they're reliable one day, not reliable the next. Jesus is the same today and forever. We see that all through the Bible. We never see him start to move off. Well, maybe, maybe we should be a little bit more like the Pharisees. Maybe we should be just a little legalistic. You just don't see Jesus ever say that. He never budges. Jesus is immutable. God is immutable. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere always. Jesus says right after he gives the great commission, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's omniscient. He knows everything. We see many times in the Bible, it says the, this interesting thing. Jesus knew his heart and said, it's like, what? They're having a conversation. That would be pretty intimidating, by the way, <laughs> to talk to him. And you're talking, and all of a sudden you're thinking, man, I'm hungry. And Jesus says, oh, you're hungry. You want to go eat? It's like, whoa, how did you know that? Jesus knew these people's thoughts. He knew their heart. He knew their sincerity and their insincerity. He was omniscient. And he is omnipotent. This guy walked on water. He, he healed lepers. He made the blind to see. He rose the dead. 
Jesus was all these things. He's internal, infinite, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Jesus reveals who God is, and he is all of those things. He is awesome. Next, he reveals what God is like. What is God like? We all wonder, what could God be like? The God of the universe existed forever, all power, all these things. What is God like? We look in the Gospels, we look in the epistles, we look in the prophecies um, of the prophets, and it says that Jesus is good. He's compassionate, he's merciful, he's full of joy. He's patient, he's consistent, he's forgiving, he's generous. I could literally go on and on of the good attributes of God, what God is like as we see it in Jesus. You want to respect a man, respect Jesus. He is everything that we wish we could be. And he's making that, us that, by the way. But he is all of those things. And finally, the third thing Jesus reveals about God, he reveals what he does. Jesus reveals what God does, the actions he takes. We see there in Jesus' life that God serves. God seeks out the lost. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. He heals the hurting, and he gives himself. We think of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. Whoever eats of me, whoever drinks of me, they will have life. This is who Jesus is. He is fully God. We're going to keep going on this. this uh, these verses are not going to slow down on how awesome Jesus is. But I want to show you from this that Jesus reveals God because he is God. And that is huge. He is everything that God is all at once. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is why we want God. That is why, or want Jesus rather. Same thing, I know, but specifically Jesus here. That is why we want him. That's why we choose him. But that's not all. Again, these verses don't stop there. The next reason we see, number two, Jesus is the supreme ruler. He's the supreme revelation, and now he's the supreme ruler as well. We see that in the second half of verse 15. It says there, He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, with our 21st century ears, I got some clearing up to do. I'm aware of that. This word firstborn generally means something different to us than it meant to them in ancient times. So when I say firstborn, you probably think chronology, you know, ordering, time. Like, uh, I have uh, two older brothers, and my brother Jason is the firstborn. He was born four and a half years before me, you know, and I'm the lastborn. <laughs> my parents didn't have any kids after me. And that's what we think of. But in ancient times, when this was written, the word firstborn did not mean that same thing. Firstborn th for them was a meaning of rank. It was a meaning of status. Not, not chronological order, but status. Uh, for, for instance, Solomon was considered the firstborn of David, but he wasn't David's first son. He was just uh, happened to be the one he called firstborn. So to say a son was firstborn meant, to, meant that he was to have the highest honor, he was to have the, the greatest inheritance, and the highest status among his siblings. So let's take that knowledge that we've just heard, what firstborn means, and put it all together. He is the firstborn of all creation. So he is over creation in rank, status, and honor. That's what this is saying here. We see in Psalm 89, I actually put this one in your notes. I thought it was helpful. This is a messianic prophecy 
in Psalm 89, verse 27. There it's quoting God. It says, And I, God the Father, will make him the firstborn. It's talking of Jesus. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's what it's talking about. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the highest of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the supreme ruler of all creation. Any power that that our governments seem to have, Jesus is higher. Any power that even Satan and his limited authority has, he's only on Jesus' leash. That's what we have. Jesus is the supreme ruler of all creation. Honestly, I'll tell you, I have a hard time with powerful rulers. You know, the more powerful a ruler gets, things don't seem to go all that well. You know, I'm no history whiz. I like biographies and I like things like that. But it seems to me that pretty much every time a, power, a, a, a ruler becomes great and powerful, whether just being uh, charismatic, you know, and getting a big following, or maybe having a big military force or something, in general, it doesn't go well in the end. The power corrupts them. They don't keep their promises. <laughs> you know, they, they want to get elected, so they make promises, and it never happens. The power corrupts them. Jesus is a different kind of ruler, isn't he? Um, let me read to you from, uh, what is it, from Luke 1. This is from Luke 1, 67 through 75. Zechariah, this is the, the father of John the Baptist, says this about Jesus. I'll, I'll just read it. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah, that's John the Baptist's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. So he's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David. That's the kingly uh, line, 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the, the hand of all who hate us. This is we're talking about Jesus' rule. So we'll be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Remember I said they make these promises and they don't keep them? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, I love this, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Jesus is not the type of ruler that when authority is given to him, he is corrupted. Jesus is not the type of ruler that, that has an agenda and, you know, the, he's going to do these good things, but down the road, okay, this is more difficult than I thought it was going to be, so he changes his mind and just takes the easy road. That's not Jesus. He is a great ruler, and it says there that he shows mercy. He keeps his holy covenant so that we might serve him without fear. I love that. That's the type of king Jesus is. That's the type of ruler he is. And the good news is, that's exactly who he is. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn. He's preeminent of all creation. He's the supreme ruler. He is the good king, and I want to serve him. 
He is my Lord as well as my Savior, and I want to follow his orders because he is good and he is awesome. That is our Jesus. He's God. He's the supreme revelation of God. He is the supreme ruler over all things. And finally, in your notes, Jesus is the supreme reason. It's number three. Jesus is the supreme reason. It says there in verse 16 and 17, if you want to read along with me, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'm telling you, we're just getting going on how amazing Jesus is. All right, so let's look at it. It says there are kind of three categories. Things were created by and through him. Things were created, or sorry, creation was held together by him. And all things were created for him. So we're going to look at them. So things were created by and through him. It says, for by him all things were created. Then it says, all things were created through him. What that means is, Jesus is the reason that anything, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, exists other than God. Jesus is the reason anything exists other than God. He created it all, it says here. For all things were created by him. And all things were created through him. Now you might say, I thought that God the Father created the world. The fact is he did. God the Father did create the world. But right here it says that Jesus created the world. And I can show you a verse in Proverbs that says the Spirit created the world. God, the Trinity, God, the Godhead, created the world. But right here in this verse, it is especially highlighting for us, Paul is especially highlighting for this Colossian church, that Jesus is preeminent because he is the creator of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible. Now, what does that mean that he's the creator? We, we kind of throw that around, and I, I mean, I do this too. And so uh, because of that, I, I read up on some amazing facts. <laughs> these are always helpful for me, and these really blew me away again. So to show you how amazing the fact is that Jesus created all things is, I want to give you some cool facts. So I think we can all agree that the earth is pretty big. Um, I still can't figure out Ringgold all that well yet. So, um, you know, the earth is, is a lot bigger than Ringgold, and it, it's huge. So just so you know, earth, if you were to cut it in half and measure it from pole to pole, is 7,917 miles in diameter. 7,917 miles. That is huge. But it's nothing in comparison to the sun. The sun is 865,000 miles, give or take. 865,000. Again, the, the, the earth was 7,000. This is 865,000. That is 109 times as big as earth. You could fit 1.3 million earths inside of the sun. 1.3 million earths inside of the sun. So the sun is gigantic. But, believe it or not, the sun is a relatively small star in our sky of which there are trillions of stars, by the way. There is a star known as IRS 65. doesn't matter, but that's what it's called. It is such a big star that if the sun, if we were to take the sun, shrink it down to 18 inches, which would probably be about here-ish, 18 inches, the sun, which is, um, what was it, 1.3 million 
you know, 109 times bigger than the earth, shrink it down to 18 inches, this other star in comparison would be the size of Mount Everest. Mount Everest in comparison. We don't even have a category in our minds for something so enormous. Jesus made that. That is one of trillions and trillions of stars. <laughs> Jesus made that. He didn't break a sweat, <laughs> and he made that. That is our Jesus. That is enormous. So we see there that all things were created by him and through him. Next, we see that all things hold together. I'm skipping uh, one of those, but in verse 17, it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the providence of God, the continuing grace of God to hold things together. So Jesus is the reason that things continue to exist rather than just vanishing into oblivion. That's what this verse says right here. It's, it's created, or sorry, all things are, created, are held together by him. By, in him all things hold together. It's the reason everything doesn't just vanish into oblivion. Now, let's talk about this. What does it take for our world to continue going around? What, what does it take? What is this holding together that's so great that he does? Let's talk power for a moment. Us humans, we're pretty impressed with the nuclear bomb and these things. We created this big explosion. It, it was so powerful, and we did that. We didn't actually do that. We just tampered with something God did. But anyways, um, we're impressed with that. Let me tell you this. The sun, again, our, our semi-small star, the sun gives off a power. The core releases one, the equivalent to 100 billion nuclear bombs— Every year? No. Every month? No. Every day? No. Every second, the sun's core releases the equivalent of 100 billion nuclear bombs. Suddenly, we are not so impressive with our ability to, to have power. 100 billion. This is one of the trillions of stars in the universe that is held together. That energy is... is produced by Jesus. He is the wellspring from which the energy derives every moment of every day. He is the energy that keeps our earth perfect. He is the energy that helps you every moment to breathe. This is our Jesus. That is his power as he holds all things together. And we'll look at this third point um, in there that we kind of skipped. It says at the end of verse 16, all things were created through him, and for him. All things were created for him. So, what does that mean? Uh, in one of those verses, it says he created these things for, or sorry, one of the uh, songs that we sang, it said these things were created for his pleasure. And that's the idea here. It is for him. His good plan, his pleasure is the reason why all these things exist. It is the reason that all these things continue to exist as he holds them together. His glory, his being known, his being enjoyed is the reason for all creation. All things were created for him. Now you might say, well, if he's in such control, things are pretty messed up. You know, why, why is the world the way that it is? Let me just say something. Jesus didn't uh, uh, curse the world. I mean, God had to put the curse on it because man sinned against him. Now I want to say he was fully in control, knew what was going to take place. 
But I want to ask you, what's the alternative to trusting in this Jesus? That, that he is in control, that all things are created for him. Well, first, it's, it's to believe a lie if you believe that all things weren't created for him. But secondly, it's to believe that this world, all its joys and sorrows that take place in your life and in the lives of those around you are just up to some cosmic lottery of the universe. But we say all things were created for him. There is a purpose. He does take pleasure in what is taking place, even if he doesn't take pleasure in each minute thing that takes place, the, the evil in the world, the big picture of what God's doing, Jesus takes pleasure in. Now, I want to say this. If we live our lives as though Jesus is not the creator, as though he is not the sustainer, and as though its purpose doesn't end in him, in revealing him, then we're missing it all. We're missing the whole point of being on this earth. I was trying to think of a good example for this. Um, Hallie and I, uh, we have a map um, at our house that I printed off and stuck to a board, and we take pins for each place we've been all over the world. You want to know where we don't put pins? Places that we just landed but never left the airport. That's not the point of going to a place, is it? If you land somewhere and never leave the airport, you missed it. You missed Paris or Germany or wherever you landed. You weren't actually there. <laughs> you were just in the airport. I've heard people say, oh, I've been there. Oh, how was it? Oh, well, I didn't actually leave the airport. Come on, that doesn't count, I say. You, you missed it. You missed the point of going to that place. In the same way, guys, if we live on this earth, and don't experience Jesus, if we don't seek to make his glory known and know it ourselves, we've missed it. This creation is for him. It was created by him. It's held together by him, and it is for him. We miss it. We don't want to be the people that buy a ticket, go to a movie, sit through the previews, and then walk out before the movie. We miss the purpose. We don't want to go to the football game and never make it past the concession stand. We don't want to miss it. This life has a purpose, and it is for Jesus. He created it, and it is all about him. It points to him. We don't want to miss him. Guys, Jesus is awesome. I tell people this uh, when I'm teaching evangelism courses or anything like that. You're not selling people some, some used car that's been broken down and you've duct taped together when you talk about Jesus. You're talking about the creator, the sustainer, the point and purpose of the universe. You're talking about the ruler, the revelation of God. <laughs> you're selling something great. This treasure in a field is what you're showing them. So what do we do about it, Poplar Springs? What do we do about it? We've seen this awesome Jesus, and I'm honestly afraid to give just a, a pointed application for what we do with this. Really, what I hope that this has done has whet your appetite to see more of him. To open your Bibles and say, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself through your son. Reveal yourself through your word. That's really what I want. And I want you to taste that. I want you to see that he is good. I want you to love Jesus, to want him more. But there are some of you who are completely missing it today. You, you're not living for Jesus. You haven't accepted his salvation. Now we'll get more into this next week, but this great God did not leave us in our sin and in our rebellion and to ourselves. He paid the sacrifice that we could never afford, and he gives us ourself, himself so that we can have salvation. 
Trust in him today. Do not miss it. Don't go to the football game, but never leave the concession stand. Get out of the airport. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience him. And some of us, you say, well, I've already done that. I've trusted in Jesus. But again, we still sometimes functionally live as though he's not our creator, sustainer, Lord, ruler, revelation. We live as those things. And I will tell you today, experience him. Don't just say you know him. Experience him as the revelation of God. Experience him as your ruler. See what it's like to live under a good king. And experience him as the purpose for existing. God has wired you to thrive when you are living in this purpose God has for you. So, as we continue through Colossians in these following weeks, and even today, I ask that you would not harden your heart, (laughs) that you would see Jesus with new eyes, that he is greater than you ever imagined, that Christianity is far more than Bible studies and going to church and singing songs. It is seeing and experiencing and sharing Jesus with this world. I promise you, that the moment you start to see Jesus as more and more supreme, as he is awesome, you will not be able to help but share him with the person next door to you, the person at your work who does not know someone so awesome, who's going to miss out on someone so awesome, who's actually going to be under that person's awesome wrath for eternity if you do not tell him. But that's not going to happen unless you see him as awesome. He is awesome. He is the greatest joy and satisfaction that I find is in beholding Christ and living under his good leadership, his good rule. And I ask that you would do that today. I'm not saying I do that perfectly, and that's why I'm here with you today to plead with God. Show me yourself. Reveal yourself in your son. Reveal who he is. Because I want it. I want to share him with the world. I want to experience him. And that's what we got to do. Let's pray. Father God, you've shown us from your word that Jesus is not someone just made in your image. He is your image. He is the image of the invisible God. Lord, let us look to him as fully God with all of your amazing attributes. And God, let us look to him as the ruler of all creation under heaven and earth. And see that he is a good king and want to follow him. And God, let us see that he is the creator, the sustainer, and the point of all creation. So that we might live for him as we are blown away by his power and his enormity and his glory. God, would you let us be so blown away that it changes our lives. God, do not let our ears be dull not let our hearts be hard, but fill us with the beauty of Jesus. God, the more we behold him, the more we will become him, and that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for my neighbors. That's what I want for the the people I see at the store. That's what I want for my friends and family that don't know him. I want them to behold Jesus and to become like Jesus, to experience Jesus. Because he is everything that we need. He is the riches of wisdom and knowledge. He is our hope. He is our living water, God. Let us trust him and see him and love him more today. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen.